What is typically on your mind as you're praying for people? It could depend on how well you know that person, on how you're praying for them, but how are you praying for that person? Are you praying on a very um, you know, temporary physical level? That's real. That's something that we do very often. You know, We pray for those physical needs that somebody has. Or do you pray deeper? And what we're going to have a chance to look at this morning is Paul's prayer for this young church there in Colossae and what his heart was for them. Um, Alistair Begg wrote a book called Pray Big. Uh, Mark showed you that book several, uh, maybe it was a couple months ago now, but you recommended it. I had actually just finished reading it when you recommended it. Really, really, really good book. Here's what he says about prayer. It says, our conversations with others declares what's on our minds, but our conversations with God in private declares what's on our hearts. So what does your prayer to God reflect that's on your heart? We get to see Paul's here as we're going through the book of uh, Colossians and just looking at 9 through 14 really this morning. But what does that say about Paul's heart? What does it say about your heart? Now, Paul's writing to this young Colossian church. He's never been there before. He's never even had a chance to be able to go visit with them, to see them. But he's writing to them. He can't go to them, so he's writing to them. And he's heard from Epaphras just all that has been happening. And he's encouraged to hear this young, new faith, this new life that they have. But at the same time, We'll see as we, as we read this, but then as you look on further in the book of Colossians, just what he's trying to address and what he's trying to protect and to guard that young new life that they have that's in them. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go ahead and pray. We'll pray together. We'll read the passage that we're going to look through, and we're really only just going to introduce it. I'm going to go through 9 through 14, but there is so much more that you could talk through and talk about as you go through just those three points that we're going to hit. Each one of those points could be a sermon in and of themselves if you were to really break all of that down. And I know somewhere along the way, Pastor Dave has probably done that over the years that he preached. There's just so much depth in those verses. So we're really just going to cruise over the top of them and address them in a way that I hope is helpful for you this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll read it together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that it's not nearly as hot today as it has been throughout the rest of this week. It's nice to have some uh, cooler weather coming in. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that it is clear. I pray that we learn and we grow through it. We gain a better understanding of Paul's heart for this church, Lord, but through Paul's heart for this church, your heart for us. So, Father, I pray that it's your voice that's heard, not mine, that it's your word that sticks in people's minds and in their hearts, and we, we grow together through that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's Paul's prayer for this church. And you almost get the sense as you're reading through that, that it's like a dad praying for his kids. He can't go be with them. He's in prison. He's writing to them from from prison. There are several letters that we have in our Bibles that are written from prison. So he can't physically go be with them, 
but he can pray. And he can pray. And what an awesome prayer it is when you really think through it and read through that. What an awesome prayer. And to have somebody praying for you in that way, to have somebody praying for you in that way is truly a gift to know that somebody's praying for those things into your life. To know that somebody's praying, you may be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, if you've got uh, believing parents, grandparents, Friends, you know they're praying for you too. You know they're praying for those physical needs, especially your mom or your grandmother praying, Lord, keep them healthy. Lord, keep them safe. Help them have friends. You know, that kind of stuff. They're praying for those very physical needs, which is important. But to have somebody praying for you like this, that prays so much deeper than just those physical needs, they're praying for those those physical needs as well. But that goes deeper, that's something special. And maybe you have somebody like that in your life, and you can think of who that person would be that's praying for you in that way. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can't think of somebody that would pray for you that way. Then you be that kind of person. Pray for this, the same things that Paul is praying for this church. Pray for into the lives of your children, your family, your spouse, your coworkers, the leaders of this church. If you don't have somebody that you know prays for you like that, then you be that kind of person that is praying in that way. So what exactly is Paul praying for? What's he asking God to provide for their lives? So he desires that they be filled. So that's our first point here. He wants them to be filled, verses 9 through 10. He wants them to be filled, but not just filled, filled to the full, completely as if they're spilling over, like a glass that's completely full. It's spilling over into the outside around it, or like a tank of gas. It's completely filled full. It's ready to go. It's ready to run. All right, filled full with the knowledge. Uh, Expositor's Bible commentary calls this like an additional knowledge or a mature knowledge. It's not just surface level. This is a mature knowledge. This is an additional knowledge. It's just not that, that surface level that you can see that you can just know just by skimming God's word. This is something deeper that goes deeper from studying it, learning God's word, letting God's word indwell you. So knowing the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wants them to know what God's will is for them because when they know what God's will is for them, they know how to move forward. That's the same thing for you and me. When we know what God's will is for us, we know how to go forward. Um, But we're going to need God's help for that. That's something that this church needs. That's, That's something that we need, this Colossian church needs. Not only do we need to know God's will with spiritual wisdom and understanding, we got to know how to live that out. We need his help to be able to understand it. And this church, as Paul's writing to them, same for us, we can't rely on the world's system and the world's idea of wisdom. We've got to be very careful. How are we examining God's will? What is the framework that we're working through and working out of to understand what God's will is for us? And James 3, 13 through 18 reminds us of that. We just have to be careful of what kind of wisdom we are filtering God's will or as we're perceiving God's will through. The wisdom that we should be looking for is wisdom from above, which James says is this. It says it's wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the kind of wisdom we're to be looking for, as opposed to what 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, which says the wisdom of this world is foolishness. So we've got to be careful. How are we looking for God's will? What's the filter that we're trying to look through to be able to determine what God's will is? And in order to really understand 
what God's will is, Paul knows that they need to first understand who God is. They can't understand his will until they understand who God is. So Paul goes into a beautiful description in the verses following verse 14. So 15 through all the way through 20, it talks about everything that Jesus is, all that he is. Just a beautiful description of Jesus as God. And one of the things that Paul is trying to address in this church is that there was a heresy that was sneaking in that was saying that Jesus wasn't fully God, that Jesus was human, and he may have had God working in him, working through him, but he was not fully God. And that's a heresy that Paul wants to stop right there. He's not been to this church yet. He knows that they responded very well to the gospel as Paul came, or Epaphras came back and gave his report to Paul. But he wants to stop this heresy that's sneaking in. And this is a heresy that was, we see there. And it's a heresy that we see not just in the liberal mindsets of liberal churches or liberal colleges. That's something that can sneak into even the most conservative of churches if we're not careful. That Jesus wasn't fully God. And all that that encompasses. It's easy to kind of dismiss little pieces because we think of the, the world around us or today's um, thought processing or, or philosophy or whatever, and it's easy to take little bits of who Jesus is and kind of dismiss that away as, well, maybe it wasn't all that that says. Maybe there's another way to interpret that. Paul's trying to remove any idea of that and say Jesus is fully 100% God. They have to understand who Jesus is before they can know what his will is for them. So Paul wants to address that and cover that right at the very beginning. But they need to be able to understand that through spiritual wisdom, but also have an understanding on how to live that out. So they got to know how to live that out. He wants them to understand these things, to know who Jesus is, so they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, he says, bearing good fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But when we're talking about walking here, we're not talking about just doing. So anytime you see walking used in this context, it's not just doing, it's being. You're not just doing the right things. You are being who God wants you to be. It's going to include doing, but you can't just do. You need to be. So it's, it's not just that. It's, it's anytime you see that, you're going to realize that walking is including the sum total of your life, not just the actions that are seen on the outside but the sum total of your life, your whole being. There are no off-limits or any off-limits areas of your life when it comes to God's will controlling you and determining how your walk is to be walked. He has all of you, or you're just fooling yourself. He needs to have all of you, not just what you do, but who you really are. Can't hold back part of yourself and think you're walking worthy of the Lord. That's what Paul is trying to drive home to these Colossian believers. God has to have all of them. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That cross that we're to take up is a cross for dying on, dying to self. It's not a cross to drag along with us to use as a chair to sit on with our coffees and our Bibles on Sunday morning. It's a cross for dying on, dying to ourselves, dying to our own wills, and willfully, completely, totally submitting ourselves to him as our master. We are bond servants, willfully in his service for him to command us and to guide us and to lead us wherever he will. We gave up ourselves. We have, uh, our lives are hidden with him. Uh, we have died to ourselves. We belong to him now. It's not just a doing, it's a being. And it has to take over every aspect of our lives. There's no holding back. 
So we just finished watching the Olympics. And uh, there at the Olympics, you saw athletes that had trained and worked and prepared to be the absolute best in the world. There were no weekend warriors that showed up at the Olympics. It was people that had dedicated their entire lives, given all of themselves, dedicated all the hours that it took to be prepared to be the absolute best in the world. We got to see Simone Biles up there doing her gymnastics as well. Uh, this year it looked a little different for her, but that didn't negate just how excellent she is at gymnastics. Here's some of the things that she went through to prepare herself and give all of herself into this to be the best in the world. Uh, one thought is that you have to have at least 10,000 hours committed to something to be considered proficient or excellent in that thing. She did way, way more than that. She started gymnastics at age six, began training with a professional coach by eight years of age. Before starting high school, Biles switched to homeschool in order to boost her training hours from 20 hours to 32 hours a week. Parents even built a gymnasium nearby their estate in Spring, Texas to reduce her commute time to less than 10 minutes. The approximately six to 7,000 hours of training she received during her homeschooling years, combined with her previous training, ensured that she also crossed the 10,000 hour mark before competing in her first Olympics at Rio in 2016. Age of 19, she then set the national record for most gold medals in women's gymnastics at a single Olympic Games. She had that goal of being the world's best gymnast. And she put everything out there, not just going through the motions, but being who she needed to be to achieve that goal. For us then, walking is being. It's the entirety of your life lived in such a way as to be worthy of the Lord. Okay, so now as we think about that, though, giving all of ourselves to walk worthy of the Lord, what we're not talking about is salvation. We can't earn our salvation. Jesus already did that. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We're not earning our salvation. What we are doing when we're walking worthy of the Lord is we're displaying who we are, and we're displaying whose we are. That's something that I love to share with kids anytime I'm teaching, that if they have Christ as their Savior, His life is in them. His life is flowing through them in a way that should be visible on the outside. People should be able to see that. And Paul desires that by being rather than just doing, that they are displaying fruit in their lives, that people are able to see that fruit through them. And bearing good fruit, uh, according to James, is proof that you have that spiritual wisdom. That wisdom from above is in you. You're going to be bearing that fruit. So God works, and he's bearing fruit through you. That's a sign that you're abiding in him. We talked about that last time that I preached. We talked about the fact that uh, if we're like that tree planted by the streams of water, we're going to be bearing fruit in our season. If we are a branch that is abiding, connecting to that vine, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, he's going to be producing fruit through us. And that fruit that we're producing is going to display who we are and whose we are. And people are going to see that fruit and the good works that are produced through that. Now, God doesn't need our good works. God doesn't benefit in the same way from this. He gets the glory, but it's those that are around us. As we spill over, our lives spill over into those that are around us, and those good works spread out and spill into those that are around us, God gets the glory, and they get the blessing of seeing that fruit in our lives. It was Martin Luther who said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. So is there fruit 
in your life. The fact that fruit is evident in your life shows that you're walking according to the will of the Lord. You're walking worthy of him. Been filled to the full with that spiritual wisdom and that understanding. It's spilling over into those that are around you. So here's the question for you then. As you look at your life, as you think about yourself, can you see fruit in your own life? As you think of yourself, now I could look at each and every one of you and see some sort of fruit in your life, but you know you way better than I know you. Do you see fruit in your life? Are you growing? Are you being uh, filled in a, in a way that is spilling out into those that are around you, producing fruit and good works that are pointing other people right back to, right back to Christ? Do you see that fruit? Do others around you see that fruit? If you see that fruit, are you also growing in a knowledge of the Lord or a desire to grow in a knowledge of the Lord? Do you want to know him as he is, or are you content just to know him as you think he is or how you assume him to be? Because a sign that you're being filled, a sign that you're walking worthy of the Lord is that you're going to have a hunger, you're going to have a desire to grow in your understanding of who God is. I was listening to Alistair Begg preach on something similar to this, and he talked about uh, having a hunger. Dead bodies don't eat. A dead body's not hungry. But if you're alive, if you have life in you, flowing through you, you're going to want more. You're going to be hungry. If you have that life within you, are you hungry for more? To understand who God is, not just who you assume him to be. Do you desire to gain more knowledge, to understand him better? And Paul so desires that this church walk worthy of the Lord, to be producing fruit, to grow in their knowledge of him. But he knows that they can't do this all on their own. They can't do this all of their own strength. So he wants them to be filled. That's verses 9 through 10. He also wants them to be strengthened. That's 11 through 12. So let me read that for us. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you. So he wants them to be filled with strength with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. How many of you woke up this morning feeling 100% ready for the day? All right, I didn't see any hands. I didn't either. I woke up this morning, and I knew it was going to be one of those days, and I knew I was going to need a lot of coffee, and I still have a mug there in the back with coffee in it for after, and I'm hoping there's some more. Because we need God's strength every single day, even for the most simple, most basic of days, let alone for me on a day like today, where I'm willfully standing up here in front of you, presenting God's word, subjecting myself to a greater judgment, the Bible tells us, knowing full well that there's going to be spiritual warfare, darts from the enemy that is thrown at us. That's what happens when you stand up to present God's word. Anytime you try to achieve anything of spiritual value, you know there's going to be spiritual warfare. And after a long summer of teaching kids, going out whether it's in the parks or in churches or day camps, whatever it is, I'm tired. So I know there's going to be spiritual warfare. So I cannot do this alone. I absolutely am going to need help to be able to do this because this battle that we're fighting is not against flesh and blood. It's not against things that we can see. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6.12. 
Our fight in this world is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You can't accomplish this by pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. We're strengthened for this fight, not with physical things, but with God's glorious might. Now think about that. God's glorious might. That's what's available to you to be able to fight this fight that you are called to fight in this world. God's glorious might. The immeasurable, unlimited, unbearable power of God is yours. How awesome is that? And he gives it to you. When was the last time you prayed for that to be realized in the life of a friend or a family member or a leader of this church or for yourself that we pray for God's glorious might to be realized in our lives? That's a pretty powerful thing. That's an awesome thing. Now, it, it sort of feels a little abstract, so let's think about what, did, what are some of the things that God's glorious might has accomplished, okay? One of the first things that comes to my mind is creation. So God created everything with just a word. That's part of God's glorious might. He spoke things into existence that scientists still cannot fully understand and explain. And he just spoke it into being. With all of our technology, all of the science, all the advancements in technology over the years, we still can't fully explain everything. The human body, there are parts of our body scientists don't understand. How does that still work? How does that hold together? And Psalm 139 says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He creates us. He's the one who formed us. I love sharing Psalm 139 with kids as I talk about the fact that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made them, just like that idea of being knit together. You do that on purpose. You can't take a ball of yarn and knitting needles and maybe even a picture of what you want, throw it on the floor and expect a sweater to come out. You got to do it on purpose. So I love telling kids they were made by God. He made them unique. No two things come out exactly the same when you're knitting, I imagine. I've never tried, but I imagine it's never exactly the same. God made them on purpose. He handmade them with his glorious might. He's the one who created them. And he's the one, as you look further in Colossians 1, that is holding them all together. He's the one, in his glorious might, keeps all of this from just disintegrating, keeps us from becoming just a pile of molecules. He keeps this roof above us. He keeps this floor solid below us. He's the one who is holding all of that together. That's his glorious might. That's available to us. His glorious might is what Jesus brought Jesus back from the, from the grave, brought him to life again. And if we look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, he says that same power is the power that's at work within us. And you can think about your own lives. I don't know all of your testimonies, but some of you had testimonies where you came to know Christ later in life, and you know what your life looked like before, devoted to sin, and you know what your life looks like now after Christ has changed you, and you had friends back then that never in a million years would have expected you to be what you were then and to see you where you are now. That's the power of God at work in you, God's glorious might. We have that available to us. If he can do all of those things, how much more so can he help us to walk this life with endurance and patience with joy? Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glorious might, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
So it's an inner strength. This is not a strength that we look on from the outside. We can't look at somebody and say, clearly, that person, they're chiseled. They obviously have that inner strength. You know, you can't just look at somebody on the outside and see this. Now, you're going to see it in the way that they live, but it's an inner strength. It's a strength that is available to the college kid who has all the time in the world to lift weights, and it's an inner strength that is available to the little old lady who's passing away from cancer. So Jenny and I, <clears throat> whew, Jenny and I got to know a lady named Dottie. Dottie was an awesome lady. We got to know her when we were in Missouri. So she was with CEF for nearly 60 years. Uh, Dottie worked in a few different capacities out there at the headquarters in Warrington, Missouri. One of her jobs was the assistant to the president of CEF International. So Reese Kaufman's been our president for going on 30 years. Uh, he's traveled all over the world. Um, she didn't travel with him all the time, but she did quite a bit of travel. Uh, most recently, after she, she retired, her job became the ambassador of encouragement. So essentially what Dottie did was she walked around headquarters and she gave people hugs and she prayed for them and she shared encouraging stuff with them. And boy, her hugs were legendary. So she was just an awesome, awesome lady that Jenny and I got to know. Uh, she was from Boston, so probably my favorite Massachusetts person ever. If everybody uh, from Massachusetts was like Dottie, then 295 would be a very different place. Uh, Dottie was just an incredible woman of God, and she passed away on Wednesday from <clears throat> uh, lung cancer that had started in her lungs, and it just spread further. But to walk, watch her go through that, obviously couldn't be with her. She was in Missouri. But to see her updates on Facebook and the updates that she wrote, it was just incredible to see that power working in her and working through her. Despite all that pain and frustration, she was a constant source of encouragement, a constant example of God's peace and strength, working in ways way beyond our ability to fully understand. Those letters and updates spoke not just of, not, not of mental weakness or fatigue or discouragement, but the limitless strength that God was working in her and through her, that while her outer body was wasting away, her inner self was being strengthened. That's the power of God working in her, his glorious might, his inner strength. And I can only imagine the kind of welcome that she got when she walked through those gates into the arms of Jesus. Awesome, awesome lady. God's given you that strength. He's given us that strength to endure with patience and with joy. Clearly, this life is not without its struggles. Clearly, this life is not without its hardships. So how are we to get through all of those things, whether it's cancer or it's the loss of a family member, of a job, a loved one, whatever? How are we to get through those things without despairing? I'm sure that every single morning, Dottie would wake up and she had to make that choice not to despair. I know just from reading some of her Facebook posts and her updates that she sent, that she'd wake up at times and say, God, why am I still here? Why didn't I wake up with you this morning? Clearly, you have something else for me to do. She had to choose to endure with patience and joy the course that God had set before her. Some of you are currently going through things where you have to endure with patience and joy. I don't know everything that you're struggling with. Some of you are struggling with things that only you and God know those things. Some of you are struggling with things that you've shared with us, so we do know what's going on. 
But God is the one who gives you that strength to endure with patience and joy according to his glorious might. Whether we see it or only you see it, God's the one that's working in you. So how do you face that? How do you endure that? You don't do it all by yourself. You don't endure those sorts of things just by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I mean, even the most basic of things, think about the last time somebody messed up your order at a restaurant or at Starbucks. How did you handle that? Um, We don't always handle that so graciously. Sometimes we look gracious on the outside, but inside we're thinking about how are we gonna write that bad review um, because the restaurant has incompetent staff or something along those lines. We don't always handle those things well. So then how do we handle those big things that come to us? I'm going to be able to handle all of those things with endurance and patience, with joy. In order that we may walk worthy of the Lord, um, we daily need to have his inner strength that is then displayed in our outer actions. We need that inner strength. One such reaction to this world and the things that we go through is to be able to go through this world with a reaction of thankfulness. We need to be thankful. Uh, but not just a thankfulness based on the things that are going well. Anybody can be thankful for those things. We can be thankful. I, I prayed this morning. I'm thankful that it's not nearly so hot. It's still stuffy in here. But it's not nearly so hot. I'm glad I don't have to preach uh, last Friday. That would have been hot in here. We can be thankful for things like that. We can be thankful that there's going to be coffee afterwards. Anybody can be thankful for those sorts of things. But we need to have a true gratitude. That's what Jonathan Edwards called it, a true gratitude, which is a thankfulness that is based not on our circumstances, but is based on the character and the nature of who God is and what he has done. When When we focus on those things and we are truly thankful, we display that gratitude, that thankfulness, We think about his incredible character and sacrifice and all that he's qualified us for, the inheritance that we are to receive. And that inheritance that we get to receive is God. We get to receive God himself. We get to be called an heir, receive his life for a life more abundant, a life that starts now, that new life comes to live within us. But then that's a life that goes on for forever and ever and ever, and someday we're going to experience not just the abundant life that we get here, which doesn't always feel abundant because we're still in the power or the presence and the influence of sin, but someday we're going to experience that new life in heaven with him, free from the power, the presence, and the consequences of sin. So Paul wants this church to be filled. He wants them to be strengthened, and he wants them to be thankful. So we already looked at verse 12, but that fits in well with Um, 13 and 14. So we're going to read 12 again also. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. True gratitude, true thankfulness should be an inseparable part of who you are, one of those inseparable characteristics of who you are. One of the truly tragic results of the pace and the just drivenness of this world, and then the rest of us are kind of pushed into that as well to just go, 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 and do, 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 is that we never have a chance to slow down and think and contemplate and reflect on all that God has done for us, the goodness of God, those indescribable gifts that he's given us. 
you need to find space for that because that's not something that's given to you, whether it's your family that is demanding more time of you, it's your job or your boss that's demanding more time of you, it's just your own pace that you set for yourself. You have to do that. You can't expect somebody to provide that for you. Um, there are opportunities. We had a chance to do that with communion just a few weeks ago. But that's something we've got to find every single day for ourselves and fight for that, to reflect on all that God has given us. Because when we slow down and dwell on God and we think on verses 13 and 14, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness, brought into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. There is so much power packed into those verses. There is so much right there for us to grasp and to hold on to and to dwell on for eternity that we were rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's incredible. Um, one example of that that I thought of on June 23rd, 2018, some of you may remember this, in Thailand there was a soccer team of boys that had gone into a cave with their coach, 13 boys. They'd gone into that cave very much like they did often. They would go explore those caves like boys do. We like to go, you know, dig around in stuff, climb trees, dig in holes. Corey's nodding his head in agreement. They were just being boys. But what happened that day is they got surprised by a flash flood which pushed them further back into that cave. They ended up almost four kilometers back into this cave system. And they couldn't escape because the pathway that they had come in, the tunnel system, totally flooded with water. And there they were, trapped. They found an air pocket, but they were trapped. They couldn't get out. There was air coming in because of the porous rock. They could still breathe, um, though oxygen levels were declining. There was water because of the kind of rocks they were. They could still drink water, but had no food. And they had a few flashlights, but those die quickly. So pretty soon they realized, people realized that when they didn't come home that there was, they needed to go find where the boys were. They found their bikes and a rescue mission started. For over two weeks, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers came out to try to rescue these boys. First things that they did was try to drill in around to be able to get an air pocket or something to those boys to be able to find them, but they weren't quite sure where they were. Then they tried digging around the water. That wasn't going to work. After just about a week, they realized they were going to have to take divers through those flooded caverns. And it was uh, during the monsoon season, so it was still raining. It was still flooding. The waters at times were still going up, so they couldn't just wait for the waters to go down. They had to go to those boys. And it was almost a week later that rescue divers from around the world in connection and, and working alongside the Thai Navy SEALs that a British diver popped his head up into an air chamber and found all 13 boys in their coach still alive. So he came back down, left what he could with them, came back, and over the next just about a week, they had to figure out how do they get all 13 boys and their coach through these caverns. Some spots were challenging for the most experienced divers. They had to take off all their rescue gear, all their breathing gear, hold it beside them so they could hold their mask over their mouth and still breathe and go through narrow, narrow spots that are only big enough for just their body. So how are they going to get 13 panicked teenagers through those caves when those kids have never been divers before? What were they going to do? Finally, they came up with a solution of bringing in uh, breathing gear for the boys, creating a pulley system to be able to put them in a sling type of thing, lay them down in that, and then kind of wheel them out. And they gave them some kind of sedative to help them just relax and calm down so they didn't panic. So they got all 13 boys and their coach out safety. 
are out safely, and only one volunteer died in that whole process, in something that could have been a mass death. Only one volunteer died in the rescue mission. How much does that reflect on us? We think about what Jesus did for us. These boys were literally rescued from the domain of darkness where they would have died entombed in that cave. Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son through the death of one person. Jesus willingly and on purpose went to the cross to take the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to be separated from him because of our sin. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son through his life, his death, his sacrifice on that cross. And that's available to you and to me, that salvation. It was available to this Colossian church, and we saw just how Paul saw just how incredibly they responded to the gospel. We have a chance to respond to the gospel in that same way. And it's only when we fully appreciate all that that means and properly understand who God is in relation to how horrible our sin is that we fully start to get a grasp of God's incredible gift of what he did for us. And when we endeavor to grasp the holiness of God, we start to see just just how terrible and how horrible and the just sense of utter depravity that we are born into. And then we think about, when we think about the weight of that depravity, we are overwhelmed by an ocean of God's grace and his mercy that he's given to us, that salvation that he offers to us as a free gift. We get to just take that. That's ours. He gives that to us freely. Every day is an opportunity to be able to display that true gratitude, not just a thankfulness for the things that are around us, not just a thankfulness for the temporary things that we see, but a true gratitude based on who God is and what he has done for us. That absolutely incredible gift, that true gratitude that comes from deep within us based on him. So Paul wants them to be filled He wants them to be strengthened. He wants them to be thankful. That's what he's praying into the lives and for the lives of those young believers in this Colossian church. And a side note that I love looking at in the book of Colossians is he talks about the saints that are in Colossae. And then you look at the end of the book and he addresses children. I love the fact that he addresses kids in that way because he's talking to kids as part of that church. They're not the church of tomorrow. It's not kids that someday will be a part of the church. He's addressing them in that letter as part of the church. I think that's awesome. It was fun to see uh, uh, if you were playing instruments. Um, We had some of the younger teens and young adults handing things out um, as the greeters. It's just fun to see youth coming up through this church as part of the church of today. Not the church of tomorrow, but the church of today. But this is what Paul is praying for the lives of this church. And I think I can speak freely on behalf of Mark and the elders that that's what we pray for you as well. We pray for you in the same way that Paul is praying for this church. Paul's praying and that they might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. He's praying, Lord, how are they, walk, how are they to walk worthy of you without wisdom from above and a deep understanding of who you are? And he's praying, Lord, give them strength to walk according to your, to, to the, in this world according to your great and glorious power for endurance and patience. But he's praying, Lord, you've got to give them joy in all of this too. 
As they understand these things, help them to display a deep gratitude founded in you and not their circumstances, remembering where you took them from, where you've placed them as redeemed and forgiven children and heirs. And that's our prayer for you as well. And I hope that's your prayer for the other members of this church around you, for your family members, for your co-workers, for the leaders of this church. And we think about what Paul prayed, how Paul prayed, for these churches, and we've got other examples of prayers that he prayed for these churches as we look at this in these letters, especially the ones that he wrote from prison. We have other examples, and you think about all that God did through Paul. God used him in incredibly powerful ways. This is how he was praying. We can see how he was praying. We see all that God did through him. Imagine what God can do in us and through us if that was our mindset as well, if that's how we were praying. For those that were around us. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the example of Paul's prayer. That was his heart, Lord. He wasn't praying for just physical things. I'm sure that came into his mind at times too, as he knew many of the people that he wrote to personally, or he came to know them as he visited churches, Lord. I'm sure he prayed for those physical things, but he prayed so much deeper. He prayed for things that were eternal things. He prayed for things that uh, so often escape our minds, Lord. I pray that we can think on the same level that Paul did, to pray for those eternal things. I pray we can lift each other up. We can lift up the leaders of this church, our family members. Father, I pray that we be filled with the knowledge of your will, um, that we live that out then, Lord, in a way that is worthy of you, with your strength, your glorious might lived out through us every day, no matter what we're doing, no matter what that looks like. Lord, that we live out this life and walk worthy of you with that glorious might visible, that others can see that lived out in us because we're doing that and displaying that with thankfulness, true gratitude based on who you are and what you've done for us. So, Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it is. In Jesus' name, amen.